and welcome to Hugo's podcast. Today, we will be discussing the question, is the Cold War an appropriate name for the conflict that ranged from 1945 to 1991? I know we're just getting started here on Hugo's podcast, so I apologize for the spoiler already. With that being said, no, the title of the Cold War is not an appropriate name because it only represents the experience of the protagonists. It does not consider the lives of the brutalized citizens and innocent pawns controlled by the world's superpowers in the midst of a geopolitical struggle unrelated to them. To put my thesis to the test, we are going to head down to Cuba. Come, get on. The underwater train doors are closing soon. Phew, we made it. Okay, now that we're finally here, it's time to put my thesis to the test. To do this, let's look at the Bay of Pigs invasion. The Bay of Pigs invasion took place on April 17th, 1961. It was a full-scale invasion of Cuba by 1,400 American-trained Cubans who had fled their homes when Castro came to power. The CIA believed their plan to be perfect and incapable of failure. However, Castro's troops severely outnumbered the 1,400 Cubans fighting for American problems, and they ended up surrendering after less than 24 hours of fighting. This was considered a win for communism. But who was the loser? In my opinion, it was not the U.S., and in fact, I'd argue against them. And I'd argue for the 1,400 Cubans made to fight, because these were literally helpless citizens who fled fled their country in fear and became American pawns getting sent back to the same place they had fled. Occurrences like this in Cuba, where either the U.S. or the Soviets seem so detached from reality, helped propel Castro into power, leaving many Cubans left to suffer for decades to come. He is responsible for the only totalitarian system the Western Hemisphere has ever seen, and he would not hesitate to imprison and execute his closest allies, friends, and even children when it served his purposes. Nobody has had total control over so many aspects of people's lives for as long as Castro did, and he achieves this through prejudice and brutality. With all that in mind, I think it becomes clear that the Cold War was not all that cold in Cuba, and in fact, it was hot. Now, let's head to Vietnam for my second example. In March of 1965, President Lyndon B. Johnson made the executive decision to send troops into Vietnam. U.S. troops quickly lost determination and did not see any reason to keep fighting. So, if you expand your imagination a little bit, in this case, it can be argued that the U.S. troops have taken on the role of the pawns suffering at the hands of a superpower. I understand they are technically fighting for themselves, but because there's absolutely no determination or will to fight, are they really fighting for themselves? If you shoot an enemy for reasons you are unsure of yourself, are you really killing that enemy or murdering him? This is the reality U.S. soldiers have to live with, 
The feeling of killing someone for absolutely no reason. Not a pleasant or honorable thing to come to terms with whatsoever. However, this is all not to mention the war from the perspective of Vietnamese civilians. An example of their mistreatment comes on March 16, 1968, the Malai Massacre. U.S. troops brutally slaughtered over 500 unarmed Vietnamese villagers, including women and children. This all took place over four hours. Sadly, this was not uncommon. Nick Terse, the associate editor and research director of the blog Tom Dispatch, makes the argument that murder, torture, rape, discriminant bombing, artillery fire, home burnings, and forced displacement were virtually a daily fact of life during the Vietnam War. He continues to say that this all stemmed from deliberate policies that were dictated at the highest levels of the U.S. military. The policies he is mentioning prioritized body count. There was no true goal except to kill everything that moved. Lastly, let's head to Korea to look at my third example. Korea was a war against the forces of communism itself. The U.S.'s goal was containment. After quite a few deaths on both sides and not much progress made for anyone, American officials began working tirelessly to arrange some sort of a ceasefire because they feared the alternative to fighting Koreans would be a larger war involving Russia and China or even, as some warned, the start of World War III. However, this did not fall through, and so the war continued. In July of 1950, the No Gun Re massacre took place. This resulted in the deaths of hundreds of civilians. U.S. troops were opening fire on refugees, as dictated by specific U.S. policies. Roughly 200 similar incidents of crossfire-related and targeted refugee killings included repeated indiscriminate bombings and the use of napalm, which is a highly flammable sticky jelly used in incendiary bombs and flamethrowers. And this was all happening in civilian-occupied areas by America, American forces. After everything was said and done, Five million died altogether, with more than half of those deaths being Korean civilians. Although it can be argued that Korea stayed cold between the U.S. and the Soviets, I'd argue that the outrageous amount of civilian deaths, more than in World War II and Vietnam, are enough to prove it was hot. In conclusion, referring to the Cold War as cold does not pay homage to the millions of pawns and civilians who were brutalized, cast off, and exploited. Rather, it centralizes the superpowers more so than before. So no, the Cold War was not cold. It was blazing. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Hugo's Podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed.